1: Welcome, Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be together. In a few moments, we'll talk with Tom McCluskey, one of the leaders of March for Life, the pro-life organization. He's got an opinion on one of the guys I agree with him. Javier Becerra is nominated for the Health and Human Services Department. He's really a, a, an anti-Christian bigot, Javier Becerra, former congressman and attorney general of California. And he won't admit that he sued the nuns, sued the little sisters of the poor. He won't admit that. It's a funny story. We'll talk with him. And John Schlafly will join us. John Schlafly Schlafly, the weekly uh, update, well, weekly update from John Schlafly, who writes the weekly Schlafly report over at townhall.com. we got all of that, all of that and uh a lot more today but first what you need to know what you need to know this segment is what you need to know you can go to proamericareport.com and sign up for a daily email which will update you on that and you can get clued into that but um, here's the thing i want to talk about today i want you to know how serious the uh, situation is and how um uh, frequently you are seeing uh the media uh, uh try to change the subject okay so now this is here's what i want want to tell you with Donald Trump off the scene what you need to know is they need a crisis they need a crisis and the next best thing to beating up on Donald Trump it appears to be is beating up on governor's So they've tried to beat up on DeSantis and Abbott of Texas, DeSantis of Florida. But right now, the media seems to be having a field day with New York's Governor Cuomo and California's Governor Newsom, who just has all the signatures gathered to to get recalled. So they're spending a lot of time. Now, as someone pointed out earlier today, do you think that the biggest story in the world— Is Governor Newsom's recall? Do you think the biggest story in the world is that Cuomo uh, is accused of, of harassment and maybe worse? Is that the biggest story in the world? Is it? Do you do you wonder when you say to yourself, "Aren't there other stories?" Like, here's a story: they haven't finished the census, and they they're delaying the census, which means they're not going to be able to draw the maps. So we're not going to have people in their congressional or or, or uh, local uh, state districts until after the uh, 2022 election or 2021 election, I guess it is. That seems like a big story. Is it a big story to you that in the omnibus, the COVID relief bill, there's a massive spending package, $120 billion, I think that's the number, that's dedicated for direct relief, That, but it would eliminate the welfare to work requirement or any requirement for work, you know, that you're supposed to be looking for work. Does anybody, um, does anybody, uh, is, that, is that news to anybody? Is that something that somebody should care about? Or here's another one. We have, a, we have a problem at the border. It's getting a little bit of attention over on Fox, but everywhere else it's ignored. The 2020 victory of Joe Biden has led to massive numbers of migrants coming across the border. We're talking about maybe a million, two million people coming across the border. And, uh, and, and this is getting worse. It's getting exponentially worse. The fact is, the reality is that we are seeing crises on all kinds of things, and yet the coverage is still tabloid coverage. Now, here's the facts. Tabloid coverage sells, right? Tabloid coverage sells. is a reason why the the tabloids make money. But there used to be people that wanted to do news, right, and and wanted to track news and wanted to move the news stories uh, onto the front page. We're not seeing that. We're not seeing that. And, you know, one of the things that I have to say, I wonder at a certain point if the media hasn't realized that the best thing that can happen to them, the fake news, is Donald Trump running for president again. I mean, think about it. Right now, it's starting to feel like nobody cares much about what is happening, right? You know, Joe Biden is, is almost non nonexistent. Um, and let me make a point about this. This is very important. Do you know that, do you realize... That Joe Biden is kind of doing what Obama did. In other words, the the Obama administration was sort of they like to say no drama, and they convinced the media not to cover. And they oh, we had no scandals, absolutely no scandals. I don't know about that, but the idea was with Joe Biden too. They're not saying much. They're not out there much. But you know what they're doing? Dramatically transforming the country. Dramatically transforming the country. It's, I mean, they're going one after another through topic after topic and trying to transform the country by executive order and otherwise. You know, I mean, think about this. Think about what's happening is the, um, the, oh, and oh, that's another one, by the way. Just a few minutes ago, the U.S. Senate confirmed the Michigan governor, former governor, Jennifer Granholm, to the Department of Energy. Total left winger, total mean spirited, talking head on CNN and other places. And she's now going to be taking over energy. I mean, give me a break. It's amazing to think about the change from, from uh, the two administrations. I mean, there it is. But But back to my point, there's a certain moment, what you need to know, that the media is actually yearning for and desperate for the return of Trump. They got to have Trump come back because they need to make money. They need to make money. And there's no money to be had in, in covering, uh, you know, all these plain things. And even even ignoring the uh, stories, you know, that the um, the Biden administration stories, there's just no money there. So here's my prediction. No matter what Donald Trump says on uh, at CPAC this weekend, I think he speaks on Sunday, no matter what he says... It will be covered as if he's running for president. It will be covered as the opening salvo of a presidential run. And I do believe that President Trump will be happy to go kind of along with that mindset, because I think he's probably thinking about it. And as Mitt Romney said, he would win the nomination. I think he might win the election if Biden keeps stumbling and fumbling. But I don't know how the media is going to want to cover that. Right. They're going to want to cover the idea that Trump may be running and spend all their time and energy running in circles that Trump may be running, Trump may be running and see if they can get lots of coverage out of it. I mean, I think that's where it's headed. And I think, you know, I'm 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 hoping I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that the president will uh, spend some time in his speech actually communicating about what I call the problem, the confidence problem, and you know, and specifically say, "Hey, we've got to get to the bottom of what happened in the election because we need to have more confidence." You know, we're, none of us think that the election should change. You know, the results shouldn't change, but we do have to get to the bottom of what's going on. I think that's very important. I think that's very important, and I think that's what you're going to. I hope that's what you're going to see. I hope that will be part of what the president talks about when he speaks uh, on Sunday afternoon or Sunday evening. And what you need to know is it doesn't matter what he says because the media is going to cover it as if he said he's running for for another term. That's what they have. They need it. They need to have that. <laughs> they need the. Uh, they need the. Um, uh, they need the. The, uh, uh, um, the viewers. They need to have people paying attention to their to their networks so that they can uh, they can get their you know hold their advertisers and hold their people. And, and obviously they're not going to be supportive. They're going to be terribly mean and all and nasty. But they're going to do it in such a way that it gives them a chance to say uh, to say, look this is coming. This is what's coming. This is what's coming. And give people a chance to uh, to react to that. So watch. for for that uh, on Sunday and in the coverage that will be Sunday, he I think he speaks Sunday afternoon, that means all of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday will be about Trump guaranteed guaranteed that was what it'll be about, and I again, sort of by design, and I think President Trump is not against it now, I will say that um, I will say that I kind of hope that he uh, does highlight some of his successes. And I hope that he highlights some of Biden's failures, maybe on immigration and on the Chinese regime that he's you know rolled over for. However, I hope mostly that President Trump is um, actually going to take his um, is going to take the time to talk about the 2020 election in the only way that they will allow him to be to to uh, to cover it. Meaning they're not going to let him say he won the election. They'll just silence him. Instead, I hope he says something like the election left a lot of people wondering. Therefore, we have to get to the bottom of it and we have to have real reform and let's do real reform right now. I think if he does that, he will get a ton of attention. It'll be very positive and it will be um, it will be good for us because we've got to strengthen the resolve of legislators and other policymakers in this country to do something serious regarding election reform, to do something serious regarding what we can do to make people realize what really happened on election night and what you can do so it doesn't happen again. Because, as I've said before, if Susan Rice can publicly or can be um, can be outed as, as uh, attacking General Flynn and others, which is what she did in November and December of 2016 through January of 2017. And instead of being penalized or ostracized or being spoken about with disdain, she was lionized and respected and now has a high position in the White House. The message becomes, if you do wrong, even if you get caught, we'll take care of you. And so my theory there is that if you do wrong and you, even if you get caught or even if people know it, we'll still protect you. You'll be rewarded. Why wouldn't they do the same kinds of things they did in 2020 again? Mail-in ballots, using a cabal of insiders to, quote, fortify the election? Of course they will. Of course they will. All right, got to take a break. When we come back, we will talk with Tom McCloskey, as well as John Schlafly, and a lot more. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Our next guest is Tom McCluskey. Tom McCluskey is uh, one of the leaders at March for Life. He is uh, also a pro-life, uh, I'd say, activist and uh, an organizer and someone who has written on a lot of issues. Also, he has. I uh, was with someone, Tom. I, I, I'll fill you in afterwards, but who was saying they remembered a lot of the work you did? I think over at FRC. And he's, he's a guy that's uh, had a, been in the trenches for the uh, for the conservative movement for a number of years. So, welcome, Tom.
2: How are you? I'm doing great, Ed. Thanks for having me on today.
1: You're welcome. And and I when I first got John I was I wanted to talk about this issue. I you know, that's uh the obviously the um the uh Biden administration is not a pro life administration. That's one of the great um the great shames of the change of administration. However, some of the details and some of the people are really extraordinary. Can you walk us through the more of the details on Javier Basara, the former the California Attorney General and what he's appointed to and what you know what his uh what his record is?
2: Uh, sure, and, and, and as you pointed out I mean, every administration Should be allowed to uh, to Appoint who they want in certain positions And if you have a pro-abortion administration like we do now They should be allowed Except I think the least American taxpayer Can ask for is competence Javier Bissara is uh, California Attorney General And um, he's now Nominated to run HHS The Health and Human Services Should be in charge of basically the nation's health care even though he has very little experience um, beyond when he was California Attorney General he sued, he sued nuns that provided health care, he sued the um, Center for Medical Progress that unearthed uh, a fetal tissue body part um, scandal uh, yet he has no real experience when it comes to healthcare itself
1: well, and and he's now trying to deny that some of what he did. I guess this is just the way politics works these days. You don't, you, you figure nobody will check, and the media won't check. But he's, I think he's trying to tell the, the senators as they asked him, that he didn't actually sue the little sisters of the poor, the nuns, and all that. I guess my question for you is, um, if he gets that position, and you've been an observer of policy issues, if he gets a position as head of HHS, how, how big an impact? I mean, he can have a massive uh, impact. Yeah. It's
2: uh, Billions of dollars in, in uh, taxpayer money goes through HHS. Um, and one thing the Trump administration was good at was stopping that money from going to bad organizations like like abortion giant Planned Parenthood. Uh, with Heavier Bissara in, in charge of HHS, he would be setting our health care policy. That would mean that, that um, the, the fetal tissue ban, the, that I, I mean, simply asking that... The, babies, be they dead or alive, not be used for um, for experimentation, I don't think it's too much to ask, except Javier Pissarro would probably bring that practice back. He'd also bring back uh, funding for abortion organizations, uh, as well as most likely push to make sure that uh, taxpayers are funding abortions themselves by bypassing the Hyde Amendment.
1: Yeah. Uh, we're we're we're, uh, we're talking with Tom McCluskey, and Tom is the Vice President of Governmental Affairs at one of the leading pro-life groups in the country, the March for Life, uh, and uh, and gets involved and, and analyzes these things. But here's another thing, though, Tom, for the listeners out there, you know, across the country that listen in and in our San Diego audi- audience, at the end of the day, does a guy like Javier Becerra, does he get blocked? I mean, there's a lot of noise, right? People asking a bunch of questions. I don't know. I mean, it seems like, what is it? So let's just pretend there are 20 cabinet spots. I don't know. A president always gets... It's about 18 out of 20. And will they really block uh, this one? What's your thoughts?
2: It's, it's tough right now, I think, um, uh, because quite honestly, I think Senate Republicans in, in the Senate Health Committee dropped the ball and questioning him the other day. Uh, there's a lot of things that this guy could be questioned on, even beyond the life issue and his inexperience. Um, uh, say hundreds of millions of dollars went to COVID relief for, Cal- for the state of California already, Yet a lot of that money actually went to prisoners uh, instead of to where it's supposed to go to mm. hospitals and, and to people who needed it. And even California district attorneys uh, blame Javier Visara for this mess up. Um, hmm. So there's a lot he should answer for, but he's not being, I don't think he's being pressured enough. And I think it'll come down to probably the two names that you hear a lot over the next couple of months. It's uh, Joe Manchin and Lisa Murkowski and how they'll vote.
1: That's a, yeah and it's a crazy world that uh, those two have most of the, have most of the power but I think that's a, that's that's right. the analysis I see too uh, what about the rest of what are the broadly uh, a pro-life commentary on uh, on the uh, administration the, the Biden administration I know you you've seen a lot of it as early and there's already one of the things that's a stark contrast is they're floating that they're getting ready to nominate judges and of course those will be pretty uh, by comparison quite a shock but what are your other uh, thoughts on the on so far on the pro-life uh, on the pro abortion uh, Biden contrast with the pro-life Trump administration
2: Well if, if you It's something that I hope when pro-lifers are back In the White House that we take a lesson from And it's something that Donald Trump also When he's doing personnel Kind of did as well Joe Biden isn't putting Joe Biden isn't worried about qualifications He's more worried about their activism And if they're activists especially abortion activists Then there's room for you In the Joe Biden administration And um, He's he's, at HHS. He's got this other nominee, Rachel Levine, who would be in charge of COVID relief. Uh, Currently, this person is um, secretary of health in Pennsylvania, where the secretary of health ordered um, COVID patients into nursing homes. Yet before they did this, they pulled their own mother out of the nursing home. So they knew what was going to happen there. And, and this person's being rewarded by a, by a position at HHS mm. um, and there's other uh, near Tandon who I do think we have a good chance of defeating over at office management and budget which sounds like a wonky job because it is however every single regulation from title 10 to Mexico city policy um, every regulation goes through OMB and it's a very powerful position and here they're putting somebody who actually heads up a very large, organization on the left um and, and probably hoping that her outside network would also help get some of their leftist things through hmm
1: we're talking with Tom McCloskey, Vice President of Government Affairs over at the March for Life. You go to marchforlife.org. dot org. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. Obviously, COVID caused the March for Life this year to be, uh, I, I guess, distant and all. Is that um, what's your what's your what's your thoughts? I mean, that was a reality with DC because the DC mayor and others. What's your thoughts on where we are in terms of uh, like next year and what what do you? I mean, I guess the 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 March for Life and the and the life movement is kind of um, now in on defense at least at the federal level, and so there's some of some feeling that way but i guess there's there's quite a few champions still in the congress
2: right and uh what we're doing march wise is uh, a couple of years ago we started a march uh, a state march program in state capitals uh but unfortunately covid last year uh put a little dent in that but we're hoping to have live marches this year and at least uh definitely virginia where we've had them before connecticut uh we partner with uh, with one down in missouri Um, And we also hope to have one in California as well, as well as Pennsylvania. Uh, The national march, um, uh, it wasn't completely canceled. There was a small contingent there this year, um, except next year we think um, this is a free speech issue. I don't see how the march doesn't go on and will continue to go on until abortion is uh, no longer thought of.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And and I think the um the, the interesting thing, last year, was it last year only that the Covington uh, kids got uh, so so badly treated, or was it two years ago? It feels like 100 years ago, but was it only last year?
2: Um, it was actually, I think it was possibly even three years ago. Oh, um, well, really? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> uh, hard to believe. Uh, Nick Sandeman, of course, uh, sued all those different news outlets, and it was so great that he, he was... Um, uh, if yeah, he if they can't return his reputation, it's great that he won at least in court. In the defamation suits. Um, yep. But uh, so uh, we're always and they came. The Covington kids came back the year. The next year, there were no incidents of the march because um, that's that's one thing. And when you look at all the protests that did happen in 2020, we um, like to think the march for life. Uh, stands out of, above them all. We know how to protest right. We know how to protest peacefully and get the message across. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, if that is, you're right, I'm looking it up. It's amazing. Time flies. All right. Tom McCluskey, thanks very much. Marchforlife.org. You can learn more about the March for Life and see Tom's work. He's the Vice President of Government Affairs. Tom McCluskey, thanks for the time, Tom. All right. Thank you. All right, we'll take a break and we come back. We will, uh, we got, oh, we got John Schlafly. We'll talk with John Schlafly about his weekly column. We'll be back in a moment. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back, welcome back. Ed Martin here with John Schlafly. It's the Pro-America Report. It's time to get things straightened out. John Schlafly, of course, is one half of the uh, duo, the dynamic duo, Brothers, the Brothers Schlafly, who write their weekly column, The Schlafly Report, over at townhall.com and also available over at com. We archive them all there. Uh, John and Andy Schlafly are continuing their mother's legacy. She wrote a weekly column for decades and decades. They've done it for about two years, so we'll see how long they last. Uh, but the column this week is called states step up for election integrity so
0: first of all welcome
1: john how are you today
0: uh, fine ed how are you today
1: I'm doing fine. Before we get to that, John, um, was the uh, Texas debacle, the debacle in Texas in terms of energy, who's at fault? I mean, it, didn't we hear for, I don't know, a decade or more, Rick Perry as governor and everybody said, wow, look at Texas. We got our own grid. We're totally safe. Did, did the Republicans drop that ball?
0: Well, I do think some people have an egg on their face and some people took their eye off the ball because, you know, one of the factors in the debacle is that uh, when the electric system went through its rolling blackouts, which, of course, is part of the plan, uh, when, uh, when they reached a peak that exceeded a previous peak, which is what happened, but part of the system that they blacked out was the system that provided energy to the gas lines well you know so that meant that a rolling blackout of electricity interrupted the gas as well and that was a very I mean I I don't know if anybody thought of that but uh, that is what caused a cascade of disasters that when people lost electricity they also lost gas and that meant that the gas pumps froze up and they couldn't be restarted quickly, and the people who depended on gas didn't have the gas when the lights went out, and so on. So there's got to be a fail-safe system that keeps the gas flowing. And Texas has more natural gas than almost any place in the world, and yet the gas couldn't be delivered to where it was needed uh, last week. So I don't know who's so, yeah. to fault for that.
1: Right. But somebody's I mean, the truth is, if Don't you're mind. if you're uh, yeah, if you're a critic of government, I mean, they're a critic of government we and are, we are where we are. OK, let's slide over to the column, John. The column is uh, is about the states stepping up an election integrity. Now, let me play devil's advocate. We're about five weeks, maybe into the legislative session in most places. Are they really getting it done or are they talking about it? A lot of people talk about stuff like the photo yeah. ID and all that. Are they really getting it done? Are you are you you and your brother, Andy, are you saying states are stepping up and getting it done?
0: Well, we're trying to give them some encouragement. You're they're talking about it, as you <laughs> say. But there is a big gap uh-huh. between talk and getting it done. And uh, some of the Republican legislatures are saddled with. Uh democratic governors and or perhaps an ineffective governor like Georgia but uh, you know but it is the constitution does give to the state legislatures we've all learned this we all went through a constitutional tutorial over the between November and January and under the constitution the state legislatures have the power to determine the manner in which presidential electors are selected and That means the state legislatures can provide that, um, you know, all the votes that are cast to elect a president must be cast on Election Day and counted and counted that same day. So we don't go through this process of having millions of ballots uh, being sent in the mail and maybe not arriving in time and all of that with that past, we can't have that again, and it's up to the legislature to make sure that it doesn't happen again. <sighs>
1: Uh, so you're, you're, what you're doing here is trying to uh, show the way for the legislatures. You're saying states are talking about the right issue, finally. They're aware of the, fa- the the right issue, finally, because one of my things I want to be cynical about, and as you know, John, uh, <clears throat> we're talking with John Schlafly, and uh, go over at com, all of his writings, uh, the Schlafly Report available, as well as his mother's, many, many, many different documents on elections, and uh, as you, John, you and I have talked, she had a book that she never published, a manuscript, largely, well, maybe not, maybe laid out, not written, but 101 Ways to Steal an Election. Phyllis Schlafly worked on a You know, this issue is not new. Um, But, John, uh, if you do... Let's say that states pass something like a photo ID... What is done then is Democrats in power, whether the Department of Justice now or a Democrat judge in Pennsylvania, for example, will just strike those things down. I mean, in other words, my concern is that a lot of the Republicans are going to play the same game of talking about the right issue and maybe even enacting some legislation, but not realizing that the other side has a fight. They don't stop on, oh, you beat us on that. We'll now have an election day. I mean, what am I missing?
0: Well, I think the the nation has learned bit, has, has learned a bitter lesson about what can go wrong with the election, and I'm hoping that there is a groundswell of uh, you know a real support for this issue. And of course, photo ID is not enough. You know, photo ID, which some states do have, uh, but that only works for in-person voting. On election day so you know that doesn't work for mail voting well of course we want to get rid of mail voting except for uh, carefully restricted circumstances like um, United States military on active duty and uh, other things and maybe a couple other things but everyone else needs to show up in person on one single day which we call election day which is specified by uh, Congress and cast their ballot that day and the ballots have to be counted that same day uh, i mean that's what really needs to be done and there's a good bill in idaho Ed, that we mentioned in the column of course idaho is not a swing state but it could be a model for swing states to copy we hope
1: uh john is there uh, how about i put you on the spot i think i might have done this some one other time i don't know if i did on the radio um why can't tuesday a, a tuesday election be a national holiday why wouldn't that, if you want to argue it should be an election day, and, and I think I agree, we don't need to make it on a Saturday or Sunday. Some people want to do that. In fact, the left wants to make it so you can vote for three weeks or four weeks. If you want to say, you know what, we want you to vote on a day, let's make it a day. Why not make that a holiday? I know it's count, Republicans don't, or conservatives don't like it because they think, I don't know, it'll skew turnout or whatever, but wouldn't that be a way to, to be more clearly in favor of, uh, of more participation?
0: Well, it's worth talking about. I mean, I, I'm certainly not. I'm not in favor of having another holiday. We have too many holidays already. <laughs> if you want to re, re, if you want to reclassify, you know, the nearest federal holiday to Election Day is Veterans Day, November 11th. Now, if we want to, you know, combine elections on Veterans Day, well, that's something to consider. Um, okay, I'm I'm open to that. Uh, All right.
1: Well, I, I didn't know if I could get you on that one. That's good. All right. So but I, again, again, John, what I, I know, by the way, one of them, they say, well, let me give you a chance to say something nice about Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, he, he really is. I mean, I, people say this a little too much, but the guy is really a, a, a national treasure. I mean, he he cuts through things and says things that kind of, I don't know, everybody should be thinking and half of us are. Isn't it amazing?
0: He had a terrific opinion. Um uh or, you know, earlier this week, unfortunately, Trump's, none of Trump's appointees joined him. Well, I, no, I take it back. Gorsuch did. But the other two didn't. Uh, and so, the case was not going to be taken up by the court, but the case he wrote in only involved a handful of ballots that were not enough to decide the election in any state. So, it was somewhat theoretical, but uh, uh, what was good about Thomas was that he Relied on some liberal sources to support his opinion. Of course, they were before 2020. All the left wing has changed their opinion now. They're not for clean elections anymore the right. way they used to be. But he cited the New York right. Times and the Yale Law Yale Law School and so on, uh, who all of whom agreed that absentee or mail-in voting. Is where the vast majority of voter fraud takes place. And so we should not, uh, we've, that's got to be supervised and restricted. And we cannot go to, uh, you know, what, we, what happened during the pandemic was a one time thing and it cannot be repeated. We've got to return to in person voting on one election day. And the votes have to be counted that same day. So all those things have to be put together. So you 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 vote during the day, and by midnight we know who won. There's no techni- there's no reason why that cannot be conducted, and therefore it should be conducted. Plus, it all needs well, to be open to the public, so people can watch on the internet every step of the way. It, uh, we don't have to, it shouldn't have to depend on, you know, people trying to go to some, uh, you know, place. Uh, and then not having access to view the county. Every, every part of the process needs to be open and visible to all citizens to watch from beginning to end. Uh.
1: Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly. John, let me drop one more thing, and i got to run, though, I, I, so I, I get the last word, but it, it is my show. But uh, same thing, by the way, with uh, electronic machines. There were studies by the school, Wharton School and professors at Harvard saying, boy, we can't really secure these election systems, these newfangled things, uh, whether it was Dominion or not, I don't know, but it was all those systems. They said, ah, Wharton, and by the way, the Wharton study, which says it's really just hard to secure these things, it's all gone. It was done in 2016, disappeared from the internet. Um, so there's lots of reasons, lots of uh, lots of people have changed their... Opinion. All right, John Schlafly, we got to run again the column over at townhall.com, the Schlafly Report, as well as archived at phyllisschlafly.com. We got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in a pro-America report back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the
1: president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Feminists have been trying to impose gender quotas in the United States for decades. They'd like nothing less than to force every company in America to have at least as many female board members as male board members. However, patriots like Phyllis Schlafly have long held the line against these feminist demands. They rightly point out that companies should be free to make decisions about hiring and firing based on the qualifications of the applicants, not whether they're male or female. France passed a bill in 2013, making it illegal for organizations to have more than 60% of their management be of a single gender. Feminists initially applauded the rule, but a new development has them crying, Sacre Bleu. The city of Paris has fallen victim to this unjust law, not for having too many men in charge, but for having too many women. Socialist Mayor Anne Hidalgo came into office making brazen overtures about the need for hiring more women and fewer men. She explained that to one day achieve parity, we must speed up the tempo and ensure that more women are appointed than men. Consequently, the mayor built a management team of 11 females and 5 males. That's a total of 69% women, which violates the French gender parity law. As the city of Paris grapples with the idea of paying a fine of over $110,000 for their transgressions, the rest of us should grapple with the question of these gender quotas. Maybe the feminists did get a taste of their own medicine in this case, but no organization should have to pay a fine for the crime of having too many men or women in leadership. Businesses don't need government intervention to let men and women compete evenly in America. The free market incentivizes businesses to hire only the best of the best. Those that ignore the best qualified candidates of either gender are sure to fall behind their competition. Government overreach isn't going to solve anything. As French feminists found out the hard way, when you let the government take control, the solution can quickly become worse than the problem. Au revoir, Liberté.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, President of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, you can find, follow, and share our work on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, let's talk. I got one, one of our listeners. I got this email uh, about, um, uh, and by the way, you can email me directly, ed at phyllischlafly.com, ed at The email was about, Did had I noticed how crazy and out of whack National Geographic and Scientific American had gotten? And I, when I got to email, it was, uh, let's see, Thomas. Um, Thomas sent me this email and he said, have you, for more than two centuries, these two magazines, he's referring to National Geographic and Scientific American, were respected icons of culture and science. They were found in middle class homes and doctors' waiting rooms. Rarely controversial, but devoted to the advance of science and dissemination of knowledge. In every issue, there was material to a, for a broad swath, swath of, Amer- of educated Americans. And if you look at them today, both magazines have been captured by extreme left wing ideologies. They no longer pretend to reflect a general interest, popular culture, but have signed on to the same radical cultural transformation. And uh, then he goes on to say, we hear lots of talk of sappy talk of bring us together. A good place to begin is to bemoan the fact that National Geographic and Scientific American are no longer readable by half the population. Here's the thing I want to tell you. One of the things that's happened is as people have rushed to become woke and to become uh, protected in this culture to self-censor themselves, they've ruined stuff. You can't even watch, you can't even watch TV without having stuff shoved down your throat. You know, there's a transgender woman or man or transgender calls himself, calls himself a transgender woman on the cover of one of the big magazines, I think Playboy. I mean, Playboy, now I don't read Playboy or look at Playboy, thankfully, but I mean, the idea we're having transgenders on these, things are just ruined. And think about this national, Nash- I went and looked at National Geographic. It's, it's totally true. Everything is, uh, is kind of, uh, political and Scientific American, same thing. And I am reminded that I think it was, um, uh, one of the big journals, maybe JAMA, that decided for the first time in its history, they had to condemn the president of the United States, uh, Trump. And, and, you know, I, I used to say that it was it was good that we had President Trump out here uh forcing out into the open people who were uh otherwise hiding their biases, right? That that seemed good to me to have people doing that, you know, have have people sort of expose like the the media giving up sort of any of their uh any of their uh, um uh, kind of pretensions to being um particularly unbiased. But now a lot of stuff is just ruined. You know and they tried to ruin sports by making sports into a fight over whether you would stand or not for the uh the uh a uh, national anthem and all and that's kind of at least sort of past but you know all these other things that you know, television is almost unwatchable the commercials during the Super Bowl were like unwatchably uh, cringe, cringeworthy. And if you had young children and we did, they, you know, you, you wanted to kind of cover their eyes and cover their ears. And that's the Super Bowl ads used to be. The ads were fun. Remember Bud Bowl and uh, you'd have the dogs competing dogs versus cats or whatever that was. I mean, these things so many things are ruined. So many things are ruined. It's gotten out of hand. And here's the the test, I would say. Didn't we usually count on uh, people to sort of be um, to sort of be uh, adults more mature that you could separate the things that you were fighting about that you cared about from everything you were doing? You know' there's something about being an adult when you're an adult or when you're a parent you don't bring your kids in on every decision or every conversation or every anything you, have, you sort of have a balance. Isn't there something about our, um, our 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 culture that should have a balance, more of a balance? Um, and it's just it is make me it makes me um, uh, it makes me wonder where it will end. Will it ever break? Will the fever ever break? Where people just kind of relax again and start to be a little bit more normal? I don't know. So no National Geographic, no Scientific American. Anyway, all right. Thank you to Noah, our great technical director, for keeping the show going, Joanna for booking our guests, and you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you tomorrow.
0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.